I really hope you took my advice and didn't put out your work before it was ready. We live in a culture of decisions that were not thought through very well. Here in America, our economy is based on the belief that taxing the poor rather than the rich will increase prosperity. This happened because someone thought that it might work, and when it clearly, clearly didn't work for almost any American, and most certainly not for the country as a whole, we just left the economy as it was. Because fun fact, once you give the extremely rich all the money and power, they fund the politicians who might be able to change our economy. We pulled the trigger on a decision we couldn't reverse or revise if it turned out to be wrong. Our constitution in America was written by men who didn't think some things through. They thought that slavery would just disappear naturally due to the nature of soil degradation and plantation inefficiency. Then comes Eli and his cotton gin. Oh no! The Constitution gave enormous political and economic power to slaveholders who, due to technological advances and westward expansion, never faded away like the founders thought that they would. The Second Amendment of the Constitution also read as follows, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, shall not be infringed. Nowadays, to pass a law, you need to rigorously define the legal terms of every word and phrase you need to revise. The Constitutional Convention kind of left this amendment so open to interpretation that at least 40,000 Americans die by gunshot every year, and the government couldn't regulate guns if they wanted to because, again, we gave the power to people who now have tons of weapons or land or money or whatever and it turns out legally taking a gun or land or power from a person means that the person in question has the power to murder you, turns out. Decisions made without forethought are fine sometimes. We call that spontaneity. But what if those decisions create something negative and irrevocable? I really hope you didn't put out your work before it was ready. I could ruin my entire life right now by saying a single word. Isn't it great that I'm able to edit myself? I could end my future and desecrate my past with a number of careless phrases or claims. And not just me. What if I start a rumor that goes out and starts a war? What if I make a claim that later, and too late, turns out to be false, and I ruin someone else's life? What if I fire a gun and didn't have to? There's no taking that back. As the good book says, check thyself before thy wreck thyself. Let's recap the series so you can know when and where to put out your work. All right, comfort is step number one. We already have a completed work. It's easier to remain the same than to reform. But number two, we have a desire to improve upon our completed work. Number three, we push. We not only perceive imperfections, but we're convinced of the necessity of adaptation. Number four is adapting. We must find innovative solutions to overcome obstacles, costs, and naysayers. And number five, we win. We know when to stop. Reform is achieved. Number six, we count the cost. Costs are assessed, mourned, and reversed if at all possible. Number seven, return. Return to comfort with an improved artistic work. And number eight, we are refined. We retain wisdom and knowledge from revision. We put our work into the world, and we're in the world, and everybody's happy. This week, we're talking about step seven, which is the return. 
You've already won the revision game by completing your revision and going over the mistakes that might have been made during the revision. Woo! The return is sort of your victory lap. It's where you stand on that aircraft carrier and you declare, Mission accomplished! Last week, we talked about how to make sure your mission was actually accomplished before returning to say it's accomplished. You hate to take the victory lap if you're not pretty sure you've already won. Alright, now you're, now you're back from outer revision space. Now you have two rewards. One is this week and one's next week. Reward number one is the prize itself, which is more of the destination than the journey. If you're anything like most people, you've probably experienced the desire to remain in a holding pattern for the rest of your life, never arriving, because arriving means something concrete. See, returning with your work means that people get to praise you or condemn you, and you can almost hear them panting for your blood. Can you hear the frantic tap-tap-tap of their reply guys, those vultures who stand at the gates to pick off anyone who left their work vulnerable? Even if they can't find anything wrong with this return, they'll dig up in a return from your past that was flawed. Whatever's fastest, your note has to be the first, after all, if you want to set the tone. At least, that's what they expect. After all, vultures are an important part of the ecosystem. Keep it from being clogged up with trash. But you, you're not dead yet. You've been engineer precise. Your critics might not like what you've done, but you beat them to the punch. You were a critic of your own work, remember? You already addressed the errors. Everything that's left has at least been thought through, and you had a very good reason to do what you did. Furthermore, you gave your work to people that you trust. You solicited opinions from people whose opinions matter to you. You changed through some combination of their pushing and your own, and arrived at solutions to problems the reply guys will take years to discover, and they don't have years. They have seconds. And yes, there will be errors in judgment, but they'll be rare, or at least rarer than they were before your revision, and rarer still than the amateurs. Every so-called problem in your work is there on purpose. You're like Keanu in The Matrix. You're like Keanu in John Wick. You're like Keanu. You are the character whose Immense training and skill make it so that the strikes of your critics seem to come in slow motion because you've practiced for this over and over, sparring in a safe environment. This is where, as the good book says, thine rubber meet thy road. So, are you ready? You enter the public and merciless square. Here in the open, consequences are deadly. The slightest misstep or false word can end you forever but you revised. You've been here a million times, and the only thing that has changed are the consequences. You ready? Asked the critic. They don't elaborate, and you don't need them to. Whatever they've got, you're ready for. Begin. Your legs never stop moving once the spar began, ever rocking, ever repositioning. Energy is all through you. You didn't move exactly like you did in training. This real combat, it might even seem boring in comparison, but for the bare knuckles, the air that sweeps your fragile flesh, reminding you that you're human. And a human feels. Every coarse breath, every tear of sweat, every bodily sensation cry out as one. You put us in danger. Now is not the time to be thinking. You've done all your thinking beforehand. 
the critic comes. You reach out with jabs with almost tentative taps just to see how he carries himself. And every second you and this critic are thinking about the critic is another second you have to figure out how to address their attacks. Where are they coming from? He counterattacks. The critic's good. His defenses suffered as he struck out, but so did your probing attacks. He's coming for what he thinks is your blind side. You can no longer think. It's your training's turn to fight. Jab, jab, hook. The moves are built into your instinct. Jab, uppercut. You switch to a different stance. And that simple change represents a full year of classes under a one-handed trainer with false teeth named Joy Linda, practicing and sweating until the stance becomes unconscious, natural, flawless. The critic didn't expect this, and now he's trying to figure out some other point of attack, fencing with his outstretched arms and trotting in circles to find an open flank. But there's no flank. You had that beaten out of you in training. The critic takes a moment to think. There, says your instinct. You throw yourself forward. It only seems reckless. The critic is unnerved because they, too, know that you know what you're doing. And the critic also feels that sense of naked danger. Scared of you as you are of them, but more. He shuffles backward, unable to overcome his instinct for self-preservation, and you let them take defensive jabs. The crowd cheers as you shrug them off. With no weight behind them, the critic's jabs were little more than lowered defenses. Hook, hook, uppercut. You have time to hiss break before shuffling away. The critic obeys. Both of you know that it's you, the creator, who owns this space. Both of you know that you halted the contest to keep from having to wipe the critic off the floor afterward. This is your work, and nobody works it better. The critic groans and grips his midsection. It's not pain. You didn't fight to wound, but to win. No, the critic is frustrated. Bastard of a match, he spits. You lost your footing, you say. You're not here to kill anyone, and if you want a worthy critic to point out your weak spots, you've got to point out theirs. When you attacked without a firm foundation, you were upright without a base, laying a coin on its edge. A breeze could have knocked you over. And you know, you've been on the other side of that coin. It's a habit, says the critic. Habits are all you've got when you're in the thick of it. That's why we make new habits. The crowd roars. They didn't see the million mistakes that led to this moment. They don't see the errors that someone else pointed out to you. They just see the end product, and it's good, good work. In the end, it's not the winning that people came to see, but a legendary fight and the good game. You both trudge from the ring. One of you supports the other. Ah, bastard of a match, he says. But you see the look in his eyes. It's scary, isn't it? The fight and how we feel. How there's nothing that'll ever be that good. He nods. Nothing. He looks your way. Is that wrong? It's adrenaline. It's what our ancestor felt when he'd slain a worthy predator and come back home with its hide on his shoulders. There's nothing like that anymore. Nothing, he says with a grin. Nothing except this. I hope that didn't strike you as cringy and pretentious and try hard. But if it did, know that I've been doing this for 10 years and that's about as good as I get. When I started this process, I called it the stress test of creation, that I was going to push myself for one month and then another and then finally 12, and I was going to figure out where my weak points were and I was going to crush them. Now that I talk about revision, this is where you work on the finesse. You watch tape, you edit, you 
strategize and work out your strategy and see that it's wrong and try another and it's great. And it's not just adrenaline. Because see, I believe that we were made to do something. And that's different for everybody. And some of us were made to just survive and be inspiring in that way. But if you find yourself today thinking, well, if I just drink or smoke and black out for another few hours, I can get to the next day. Well, that is not living, my friend. That's not doing what you were meant to do. Even if you're doing something and putting in the work for, you know, an audience of 20 or 30, and even if your podcast doesn't exactly go how you planned, or if your job or relationships aren't currently where you want them to be, I hope you're ready. Because there might be something that you've been training for your whole life, and going up against it, even if you lose, it's the best. And every contest you go to and every thing that you do to train, that's another chance to just hit it out of the ballpark, baby. Or maybe you're just Ohio State and you need to give Oral Roberts a good run for their money, you know, to, to get to the Sweet 16. It ain't nothing, you know, good job. The world out there is aching for worthy opponents or worthy teammates. They're aching for good games and you're aching to be part of one deep down. So whatever your quest is, I hope you return all beaten and bloody and bruised and lay down and sleep like a saint. Next week, we're going to talk about... Oh, you know what? I didn't talk about the Snyder Cut because I watched it and it sucks. What is with all you people? You guys like that movie? I guess I just didn't see the original version and I know it's probably worse, but like, goodness, what is wrong with you people? Like in that Justice League Snyder cut. Ugh. No, nothing's wrong with you. You're just different than me. It's fine. It's wrong, but fine. Anyway, so next week, we're going to talk about like how after you done return, you wake up and you look at yourself and you're like, dang, I got all buff and calloused and cool. You guys ever read those final chapters of the Lord of the Rings trilogy where the hobbits come back and they're like, people-sized they're huge they can even ride a pony or horse or whatever because they've been drinking that elf drought and drinking that lambus and if you don't want to be a lame bass then you'll join me next week as we talk about coming back and being refined and isn't that cool and isn't that going to make your life easier down the road because you'll be strong and s smart and gooder seriously listen justice league just not my thing there were some good bits i just didn't care like i didn't care about any of the people in it it's just